The Writer's Toolkit is published by Nick Hearn Books. Order direct from the publisher and get 20% off this and other great titles. Visit nickhearnbooks.co.uk. A virtual coffee with inspiring playwrights and screenwriters. This is the Writer's Toolkit podcast. Hello fellow writers and welcome back to another episode. This one makes 10, which is rather exciting. If you've just discovered the podcast, this audio toolkit now includes inspiring conversations with writers including Diane Samuels, Mark Sanderson and Simon Stevens. It's a loose companion to my book of the same name, but where the book is all about writing craft, including almost 200 exercises, tips and ideas for playwrights and screenwriters, this podcast is less about how and what we write and more about the journey. My guest today is the brilliantly insightful Shannon E. Johnson, a Houston native who's making waves in Los Angeles as a script consultant and screenwriter. I first came to know of Shannon through the series of interviews she recorded for Film Courage, and I was captivated not only by her enthusiasm and knowledge for screenwriting, but her engaging tone and willingness to share her pro tips, an invaluable series and resource for writers at all levels. And for anyone looking for a first-class mentor for one-to-one development coaching, well, Shannon's got you covered with her services over at The Professional Pen, a writer-centered one-stop shop that will take both you and your project from idea to pitch. Coming up... Script coverage is about marketability. It's about, yeah, somebody will buy this rather than the person. And I just believe, you know, in the cliche, if you build the writer, then the content will come. That's why I consider myself a teacher and a therapist and an accountability partner. All of the things that I've learned being on stage as a development executive, being a screenwriter myself, a lot of consultants are great with story. They don't necessarily have all of those experiences. The Writer's Toolkit Podcast with Paul Kalbergi. Shannon E. Johnson is a former creative executive at the Sci-Fi Channel who honed her skills in the development world, taking showrunners from pitch to production on sci-fi shows including Alphas, Being Human, Sanctuary and Warehouse 13. After studying her MFA in filmmaking at Florida State, Shannon took an extended break to flex her dance and performing muscles, treading the boards on international dance tours and performing in the first US national tour of Ghost the Musical and Sister Act at the Riverside Center in Virginia. She returned to her first love of script development in 2014 when she set about delivering her writer mentoring services through her company, The Professional Pen, putting her hard-earned degree and experience to full use and turning what was a side hustle into a full-time career. What sets Shannon apart from the plethora of screen coverage services out there is her focus on developing both the writer and their ideas. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you, Shannon? I'm doing okay. I normally start these conversations talking about practice and process, but Shannon's artistic journey is so interesting. So I wanted to start off by finding out a little bit more about each chapter. Let's do it. Let's start with your MFA then. Okay. In other interviews, you've said you were an avid reader as a child, mm-hmm. always carrying books around. Mm-hmm. Was there a galvanizing moment where that switched, that interest switched to screenwriting specifically and film? Yeah. To be honest, yes and no. Uh, I'll say no, because growing up in the 80s in Houston, Texas, there was no exposure to filmmaking. So I never even considered it as a thing. Also, I, my, my university, Texas A&M University, is a big engineering school, right? So a lot of people who I know were into math and science. And so they were going to be engineers and doctors. People were going to be lawyers. People wanted to be teachers. 
even those people who were in the arts were thinking about singing and dancing and things like that. There was no one talking about writing, no one talking about, you know, screenwriting specifically, no one talking about film. So I never even considered the process, you know, um, all I thought my option was, was to be an author because okay. I read books so I could see them in my hands and say, right, right. somebody wrote this. Right. And when I would then see things on television, I just said to myself, people are writing a book and somehow it ends up on television. I never considered what the somehow was, like what right. that process right. was. You know what I mean? I knew theater because I had done theater. You're right. But I hadn't considered it one day. So knowing that I hadn't considered it, you'll realize how much of a coincidence this is. Right. One day I am working in a, an internship at a research magazine okay. and my mother sent me because this is before, not before email, but everybody's not doing it like that. Right. So she sends me a ripped out page from a magazine via the mail, snail mail. Okay. Right? okay. So I get this article and it's about a black TV writer. Okay. And I said, this is it. Yeah. This is the thing that I want to do. So knowing that I had never even considered it, why did my mother send me that? I had never even talked to her about writing for TV, <laughs> you know, or film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why she sent me that, but literally she sent me that. And in that moment, I decided that's the thing I want to do. Wow. I knew then that it wasn't, it wasn't writing books. It wasn't blah, blah, blah. It was figuring out what that somehow was that got things from what I thought was a book yeah. to the screen. I now had vocabulary for it. Oh, screenwriter. Oh, TV writer. And it was in that moment. I'm an overachiever. I come from a family of overachievers. Everyone here has 18 degrees. So here <laughs> I am finishing. Here I am finishing undergrad and I'm, I'm walking out of undergrad with two degrees. So I'm, I'm on my way, but I, I need more. So I, I know I'm going to go to grad school, but I don't know what for. Right. So at this point, I'm just going just to be going. Why yeah, would we yeah, do, yeah, yeah, yeah. do that to ourselves? Yeah. I don't know. But that's just <laughs> my truth. Right. I was going just to be going. And in that moment, I was like, and now I know where I'm going. I'm going to film school. <laughs> right. I know that I'm going to go study it because I'm the kind of person who likes to learn in the classroom setting. Yes. I always tell people film school is not necessary. So if anybody's listening, you do not have to go to film school in order to be in the film industry. It is a grassroots kind of place. Just get out there and work on it and get it done. It'll be fine. But I like to learn in a classroom setting. So for me, graduate school, going to film school was the best thing to do. But it yes. literally happened all in one like in one moment, got the article, read the article, decided that's what I wanted, and then started applying to film schools. Was it underpinned by a love of movies, at least? You were always at the theater watching movies or not? Well, um, not in the theaters as much, but definitely I, I was, a you know, one of those children raised by the television. You okay. know what I mean? Okay. So, you know, I, I have a single mother. She's an educator. So she always had banquets to go to and blah, blah, blah. And if I was going with her, I'd be sitting in the back reading my book. But if I was at home, I was watching television. Right. So I grew up watching television, loving to watch television. I would go to the movies here and there. But um, I was one of the first people of like my my friends and like neighbors who had cable. Mm. So I got to watch like HBO. I, and I'm the youngest of everyone in my family, which means I was watching and listening to stuff I shouldn't have been watching and listening. Okay. Right? Okay. okay. <laughs> and listening to. So I, I have seen all of the movies. Not, But again, not having that moment of, oh my God, I want to make movies. But just right. going, this is how we, how I entertain myself. This is what I watch. This is what I enjoy. So yeah, always being into it, but I never considered it as a, as a career. And I think what that says is exposure means everything. Mm. Just think about how much 
You can change a person's life by exposing them to something. And that's why we have a lot of disparity between groups of people here in the United States because of what some people are exposed to and what other people are not exposed to and just how that small exposure can spark you know, such change. Yeah. And so that that one article that my mother sent me for whatever reason sparked change. And now here I am. Well, And we'll talk about the work that you're doing to amplify black voices, um, I guess, with mm-hmm. what you're doing now. So at the time, then just going back, who would have been the black writers that you were reading or watching that would have been inspiring you? Yeah. So again, reading stuff that I probably had no business reading. You yeah. know, I was reading Terry McMillan. I was reading Eric, uh, Eric Dickey, Eric Jerome Dickey. I was reading Omar Tyree. And Omar Tyree was actually, I can't remember if this happened before or after my mother sent the article, but I'm going to go with after just to give us a timeline. Yeah. Omar yeah. Tyree had a character who was getting her degrees in the same thing I was getting my degrees in, who mm-hmm. then became a teacher and decided to quit to become a screenwriter. That's interesting. Parallels. Exactly. Of like, oh, but this girl, and, and, and uh, it, it was called For the Love of Money. That was the name of the book. Uh, as a young, young child, I was very into R.L. Stein. The Fear Street novels, though, not Goosebumps. Goosebumps was a little light for me. I liked the, <laughs> I liked right, the, right, right. the harsh stuff. Yeah, so I watched, I, 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 I read the Fear Street stuff with uh, the cheerleaders that okay. were, like would kill each other and stuff, which is crazy. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> because that was the kind of the first stuff I used to read, I used to want to write horror. Probably middle school through college, I was like really into writing horror because of R.L. Stein. Right. And then of course I read Babysitters Club, and, yes. you know. Yes. All that kind of stuff. I loved Cam Jansen. I don't know if you know Cam Jansen, nope, but I loved nope. Cam Jansen. She was a kid detective. She had a photographic memory. Okay. And I had a photographic memory. Mine is not as much as, as it used to. My retention is not as great as it used to be. But I used to be able to look, you know, in a space. And in the book, she would take a picture with her eyes by blinking, basically taking a picture. And then she'd be able to see where everything was in her head. And so my bus stop as a kid was at a library. So I would be in a library waiting on my mother to pick me up after school. And so I would just oh, go. Wow, that's like Matilda back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would go and, and, and find all of the Cam Jansen books and I'd be able to like read one or two while I was waiting. And so I probably read all of them. But yeah, so I, I had a pretty diverse uh, group of uh, books that I grew up on. Okay. Okay. I love that. And then so you graduate, but you decide to go inside the factory. and Yeah get a, a unique perspective, I guess, from that of a development executive. What was what do you think has been the biggest takeaway for you from that chapter that's been most helpful in your writing career and consultancy career now? Yeah, that the people in charge are the executives. Right, right. <laughs> that the people that the people who have all of the creative control are the executives. And I think we do a disservice by not telling creatives that. I think we do a disservice by not telling writers that this is your baby and it's coming from your mind and you're putting all of this work into it, but you do not get the final Mm. say. You don't. Um, And what you're writing on that paper will probably look nothing like that by the time it gets on the screen for the better or for the worse. (laughs) You you just don't know. And so I think for me uh, now as a consultant, that's one of the questions I like to ask people is like, well, what do you want out of this? Because a lot of people now that social media exists and now that, you know, writers have never been the people who got the fame. Like you had to be a writer director for people to kind of know your name. Other than that, a few writers we would know about, but, you know, mostly everyday kind of people we don't really know about. Mm -hmm. But because Mm -hmm. of social media, you know, people are getting to know screenwriters, you know, more. 
And because of that, that goes back to that exposure thing. Now people want to be writers and that's fantastic. But a lot of them want to be writers because they think the writers have the creative control. (laughs) Right. They don't. The executives do. So I I enjoyed being thrown into it because that's what that's what happened for me. I was thrown into it. And getting to learn the business of it, because again, even though I went to film school and I hear this from a lot of my peers who went to film school, wherever it is they went, they're not teaching the business. They're teaching the creative. But if you don't know the business, the creative is not going to get you anywhere. You can be the best writer on the planet. But if you don't know the business, Mm, then mm, you're not going to be able to get any further than, you know, your living room. You know what I mean? So being able to be on that side yeah. and just be inundated with so much information about how the cogs actually right. turn and spin and connect is just, you know, it, it was great. It was great. It felt really did feel like I was sneaking into somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. Do you think in some ways the, the realities of the business make our spec scripts even more important, A, to get the job, um, but B, to be able to write the script you want to write and kind of flex that muscle and, you know, fulfill that creative, it, scratch that creative itch at that, at that point? Because, you know, once you sell that script or once that script opens the next door for you, the, the process won't be the same, the reality won't be the same, yeah. and you will be a slave to the executive. Yes, uh-huh. If you're naturally a right-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of writer, you know, the only place you can really do that in reality is your spec scripts. You know, once you move to a writing assignment, delivering an outline is, is one of the key deliverables that you'll have to be able, so you need to know how to outline, right? Yes. Do you have any tips for outlining? I do. First of all, do it. That's <laughs> tip number one, especially if you're going to go into television. Um, in features, some people will ask for them, especially if it is a writing assignment, right? Because they kind of want to check uh, all the steps along the way. You, The last thing you would want to do if you're on a writing assignment is write an entire screenplay and then have someone rip it to shreds because it's not what they were looking for, which has nothing to do with the execution, but everything to do with the, this is not the thing that we requested, <laughs> right? So, no. And very often you won't get that go to script you know, go ahead until you've turned in your outline. Until you've turned in your outline, right? So you definitely, you know, need to learn how to do it. Within learning how to do it, learn how to do it so other people can understand Mm. it, right? Because a lot of writers have kind of been taught that outlining is for themselves. You know, it's like a personal thing to just kind of make sure that you have your beats in, in line and in order, and then you can go writing. What that means is you probably leave a lot of stuff in your head and not on the page, (laughs) right? Because it's for you. You know what that little blurb means. Nobody else knows what it means, but you know what it means and you're able to kind of look at it and write from there. But when you're turning something into other people and they need to be able to track your story beats, then you have to be a little more detailed and a little more clear, (laughs) right? So that people can actually track it. Because if not, then now they're going to be asking questions that you already know the answers to, which could then make you uh, frustrated Mm -hmm. in the process, which then blocks your creativity. And so it's really good as a writer to kind of learn how to flesh it out with enough detail, but still being concise because nobody wants to read a 100 page outline, right? And I write very detailed outlines. So I'm even talking to myself on that one. Right. But, you know, to be concise, but have enough information so that I can track the characters externally, internally, you know, emotionally, whatever it is they're going through so I can actually see the story. It's a snapshot of the story. So I like to kind of talk about it as every single part of the process just kind of expands. Right. Uh, the synopsis is an expansion of your log line. Yes. Outline yes. is an expansion of your beat sheet. 
right? And the screenplay is an expansion of the outline. So that means in each of those forms, I should be able to know what the story is. I can tell what the story yeah. is, right? I'm just getting more detail because, you know, you can get you get larger space and larger page count, you know, and things as, as you kind of go along. So for me, that's the biggest tip. Make sure that we can track the beats. Yeah, yeah. If we can't track them, then now you're going to make this process a little more frustrating for, you know, for yourself um, because you're going to get all those questions of, well, what is this? And I don't understand this and blah, 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 blah. So you have to make sure you're getting it out of your head and getting it on the page. Yeah. And it, and it will set you up for success on the page later, of course, because you haven't just yes. got a compass with a, with broad directions. You have a turn by turn navigation exactly. blueprint to get to the end. It's your Google Maps. Yeah, there you are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's your Google Maps. And it makes it, it makes your writing process more efficient, which goes back to now you can have fun. Yes. Like the hard work happens in the outline. That's where the hard work happens. That's right. That's where you're seeing where the plot holes are and you can figure out how to get out of them. That's when you're trying to figure out who these characters are. You're building the world. You're doing all of the hard stuff at the outline stage. Now you've got your full plan, your full Google Maps, your full roadmap, whatever it is you want to call it. And now you can get to your screenwriting yeah. software and just have a blast because right. you already know where you're going. Now you can be as creative as you want. You can change up the, you know, add your dialogue and add a little description here and little flowers there, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And you can actually have fun and it can be efficient because writing a screenplay doesn't have to take five years unless, you know, you might be a single parent with five kids and five jobs. And so you can only write for five minutes a day yeah, every week. Yeah, yeah. Then it might take you five years. Right. But if you, you know, have time, you know, and, and everybody's schedule is different, mm. which is why I don't believe in that whole, you have to write everyday things. Right. I think that that sets an expectation that sets people up for failure. Because what if I can't write every day? Does that make me a terrible person? Does that make me not a writer? Absolutely not. What it makes me is a working mom, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or a working dad, you know what I mean? Or someone who is, yeah, yeah. who is the caregiver for their parents. You know, it just makes me someone who doesn't have time every day. And that's totally fine. But once you do decide uh, that you're going to focus in on this and you have a little bit more time, it shouldn't take you five years to write your screenplay. If you do that hard work during the outline stage, yes. then you can yep. set a deadline yep. for yourself and be done with that thing, especially if you want to be a professional writer. Because if you aren't writing multiple screenplays a year, then you're not going to be able, and, and if you sell them, you're not going to be able to make enough money to, you know what I mean, to support yourself that year. So you got to be able to get out enough of them because if you, if you write 10 decent ones, maybe someone will buy two, you know what I mean? So you just kind of have to get yourself into a, a, a get yourself into a process of being able to kind of get them out. And that starts with understanding the structure, knowing how to outline yeah, and then writing yeah. efficiently. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you are writing on assignment, you uh, you may have three to four mm -hmm. weeks to turn around yeah. the first draft. That's the reality of it, right. you know, in that kind, that kind of time frame. Yeah. And if it's in TV, it's even shorter. You know, if you're on a writing staff, mm. you might only get a few days to turn it around because if it's network TV yeah. and they go into production every eight days for the next episode, you don't have time. You have to go through your outline, script and rewrite in those eight days so that they can be ready <laughs> to go into yeah. production. You know what I mean? So you got to be able to make this thing, you know, it should eventually become plug and chug for you. Like you understand the structure and you're just kind of plugging in, yes. you know, all of the creative stuff. As a playwright, you have more freedom to play. You're not always a slave yeah. to structure. You're working very much more on your mm -hmm. own terms. I was curious to know if your early love of theatre and the time that you spent working in musical theatre, did that inspire any playwriting aspirations for um, you? 
So in my graduate, uh, my graduate program in the film school, we have a production track and we have a writing track. The writing track does screenwriting for features and television playwriting and creative writing. So I actually got to spend some time actually learning playwriting, studying at the Oslo Theater. I think I put up two one-act plays and two 10-minute plays. So I enjoyed enjoyed it, Mm. but I never thought about pursuing it as a career. I never thought about pursuing it as a career. And I think it's because I like how big I can make a story on screen. Because when you're thinking about playwriting and thinking about how you're going to visually show these things and just me being fully transparent, I am a pretty um, literal person. So I don't want things to have to be too abstract. Right. And in theater, right. if you want to talk about a big idea, but you only get one set to do it, then you start getting into these abstract places where you kind of have to make people feel like something's happening, even though it's not happening. Sure. And that's just not the way that I like to tell stories. So um, I kind of knew that I would you know, stay into the screenwriting space, but I enjoyed it while I was doing it. And I enjoy performing. I enjoy musical theater as a performer more than I do as uh, acting on film or television. I have never pursued acting in film and television, but I love being on the stage. How are you scratching that itch now? I'm not. Uh, (laughs) I'm not not scratching it at all. Uh, I enjoy being on stage because I like that if I can feel that the beat isn't landing, I can make a different decision right then. Okay. I love interacting with the audience. And I guess you can scratch, you could scratch that itch to some degree with dance classes or, you know. Yeah, if I wanted to. Time, right, uh, yeah. If you wanted to. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think my body's over that too. I think that was one of the one of the things that made it a little easier to go ahead and transition back into um into the film uh in uh, the industry mm. because when I first left the industry as a as an executive and I left to join a dance company, I thought I was only going to be gone for a year. But right. then I started, I got on the stage and I was like, there's no way I can go back to a desk. Like, no way. So then yeah, for the yeah. next eight years. I was performing. And finally, my body was just like, I'm over it. Like I would go to dance class and not want to be there. I would go to auditions and not want to be there. You have to not because to that, I, right? Yeah. And not because I didn't want to do the end, the end goal. Mm. I, book me for the show. I'm, let's do that. But yes. everything in between, I just, I didn't have it anymore. My knees were hurting. My back was, you know, I just didn't have it anymore. So it was like, okay, yeah. well, it's time to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So your journey's taken you full circle. You've gone from screen to stage before yep. coming back to the page. <laughs> That's good. Let's talk about the professional pen and your work now. Tell us a little bit about your consultancy work. I started uh, TPP as just a side thing because people kept reaching out to me saying, hey, can you read my screenplay? I wasn't even looking to help people. Sure. I was performing. You know what I mean? Uh, and people kept asking so much that I was like, well, I guess I should be charging people. You know how you yeah. kind of have that. Yeah, I yeah, guess, yeah. you know, so I would get like $50, you know, here and there for, yeah, for yeah. helping people. And so I was like, all right, well, this TPP thing seems to be working out for me. So I'm just going to put all of my focus in it and make it my full time job. And what I learned along the way, because it was very happenstance, you know, I know that there are people out there who start their businesses with their mission statement. They know what problem they're solving in the world. They have a full business plan, et cetera, et cetera. It just didn't work that way for me. It kind of all just kind of came to me. And what I learned along the way was I was providing resources in a big, huge gap, right? Because I I consider Hollywood to be this gated community. Yeah. Yeah. Where everyone's on the outside trying to get the code, yes. trying to get the passcode to yes, get in. Yes. And everyone yes. on the inside just keeps Waiting walking by like you're not standing there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you're not even right. standing there. They won't even help you in. 
And so I was like, but if I've got the code, why wouldn't I just give it to people? <laughs> why wouldn't I just tell them? And so I realized, you know, a lot of people are trying to get in. And even those people who go to film school are not receiving the business information. Mm. And even those people who go to film school are taking one or two screenwriting classes. And the rest of the time they're in directing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So a lot of people aren't really focusing on story. Most people can't afford to go to uh, film school anyway. You know what I mean? And so yeah. here I am with all of these resources and I'm filling a gap, you know? And so once I realized that that was the problem I was solving, I kind of, you know, honed in on that and it has grown into the thing that it is now, which is, you know, basically developing, I say creatives instead of just writers, because I get producers, I get directors, I get you know, okay. all kinds of people. Okay. Um, but I basically develop their ideas from idea to pitch. And I also develop them as writers, which is what makes TPP different from a script uh, um, uh, from a script coverage company, right? Script coverage is about marketability. Right. It's about, it. yeah, somebody will buy this. Yeah, that one project rather than the person. Rather than the person. And I just believe, you know, in the cliche, if you build the writer, then the content will come. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, and so, yes, yes. That's really interesting. Yeah. And so I, I that's why I consider myself a teacher and a therapist and an accountability partner. Yes, you can bring all those skills together. Exactly. So all of the things that I've learned being on stage, being in the in, as a de as a development executive, being a screenwriter myself, putting all of those things together and being able to give people so many different aspects, which is also a little different for me from other script consultants. A lot of consultants are great with story. But they don't necessarily have all of those experiences. Right. So if you are talking to me about what kind of story you want to write, I can ask you first, well, what network do you want this to be on? And some of the stuff that you're trying to do will say, well, that's not even the kind of stuff yeah, they're yeah, looking yeah. for <laughs> so yeah. we can you know kind of start road. thinking about yeah exactly that's not let's not go down that road so i basically took all the things i enjoyed about being an executive and threw away the things i didn't want to do yeah yeah, <laughs> built, yeah yeah you know built my own platform Absolutely. And alongside all of that, you are still a writer yourself at heart as well. Yes. How do yes. you compartmentalize and separate that consultant brain from your own creative brain and not mm -hmm. give 100% of your time to the consultancy and still fulfill yourself as a writer? I often have ideas, so my phone is filled with them. One day uh, this summer, someone requested a half-hour dramedy from me as a writing sample. So I went through my ideas, said, okay, this is the one. And in two days, I had a half hour dramedy. But that's because I had already done all of the other work. Okay. <laughs> you okay. know what I mean? Yes. I already knew what my big beats were. I knew where the thing was going. I didn't have time to do a full on outline, but because I've been doing this long enough, I can truncate it, right? So that I kind of know, like, this is sure. where I'm going. This is what act one looks like. This is what act two looks like. This is what act three looks like. I did that in, yeah. in, in a day and a half, sent it to one of my story experts to say, hey, now you have to check me. Make sure that I the story is making sense. I'm not missing anything, blah, blah, blah. He read it. He gave me, you know, the couple of notes that he had. Boom, finished it, sent it off. And that was rewarding <laughs> for me. You know, yes. that was rewarding yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what I will say is one of the reasons that I went the development executive route is because I actually enjoy helping other people with their stories this much. I know people can't see me at home, but a very tiny bit more than writing my own stuff. Because what it means is you come in and you say the word orange and my mind just gets to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? So okay, my okay. mind just gets to go and I can see your story. You know what I mean? So as people are like talking up and they're like, yeah. oh, this isn't making any sense. And I'm like, it's making sense to me. And this is how it makes sense. 
And so then I take the structure part that I know very well and their random idea that they don't think makes sense. But because I know structure, I know how to fit it in like a puzzle. And that's Mm. fun to me. So it's just like thinking about mathletes, you know, and it's like, well, how do they how do they find math competitions fun? Because it's a puzzle. And for me, that's what screenwriting, you know, is for me. I can read someone's script and automatically go, this is the whole this is how you fix it. <laughs> this is the mm. thing. This is what that means. Yeah. Oh, this is what you're trying to do. You're not doing it, but this is what you're trying to do. And this is what you need to do to get there. That's fun yeah. for me. And so I'm using my creative juices every single day. I'm just not writing my own yeah. screenplays. Yeah. And so when people go, oh, okay, well, why should I work with you? You don't have anything produced. Well, I do. I just, if it's not great, I don't tell people about it. <laughs> right. Plus all the things you're not credited for, right? Exactly. All the things I'm not credited for. Um, but I spend more of my time helping other people write their stuff and I write my own stuff. Hopefully one day I will be able to just focus on my own stuff and then I can go through the same things that everybody else is going through to get their stuff made and blah, 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 blah. But I just haven't chosen that route. And so because I haven't chosen that route, I'm getting there in a different way. Mm. So I'm now creating this script consultant credit. I helped develop this thing. This thing has become what it is because of the work that we've done together. And so it's not written by, you know, obviously, but it, but people often, you know, people who are not in the industry that don't even know that the the development phase exists, right? They don't know that, that there are executives out there. And how fundamental it is to the work. If I think about the film that I've just finished writing, you know, would it be the draft that, that I turned in at the end without the development executive? Absolutely not. And so thinking about that and thinking about the amount of work that I do put into things, it's like, sure, all of most of it is proprietary so i can't tell you all the things that i've worked on so you're just gonna have to trust me and if you don't i understand because this is a very intimate relationship that we're building here and so if you feel like you don't trust me then don't send your screenplay (laughs) you know what i mean but if you want to figure it out then let's do it the conversation continues after these messages Hey there, Mark Sanderson here, author of A Screenwriter's Journey to Success with my script tip for today. You know, your talent is as important as your professional attitude and work ethic. It takes all three and a little bit of luck to survive over this long-haul screenwriting journey. Welcome back to the Writer's Toolkit Podcast. So the professional pen is the first black owned script consultancy. And basically what that means is I, as a black woman, am the first person to put together a fully functioning one-stop shop for writers. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that we only work with black writers, but because I am a black woman, I am relatable to women. I am relatable to black people. I am relatable to people of color and I'm relatable to just people in general. Right. So because of that, my my clientele seems to skew, you know, in those areas. And the reason that is, is because since Hollywood lacks diversity in their executive ranks, right? Sure, they it, they lack diversity in the writer's rooms. They lack diversity yeah. in showrunners. They lack diversity in the type of movies they buy. But all of that is a trickle down from the top, right? If all of the yeah. executives, all of the people who make all of the decisions, all of the people who have the money are not people of color, then when you drop a script on their desk about an experience that they cannot relate to, that is a a reason for them to choose not to make it. It doesn't mean that it's top of mind, oh, because it's a black person, oh, because it's a a Latinx person. It could be any reason. Mm. But if it's unrelatable to them because their experiences, uh, because they've never been exposed to those kind of things, or because of their own unconscious biases, you know, biases about uh, how people speak 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And things like that. Anything that yes. can be a turn off for them personally, because it's very subjective. Then now a lot of those people of color aren't able to get their scripts on someone's desk. Or even if they send it to script coverage companies, right, they're not going to necessarily get someone who can understand their story and then give them the kind of rating right. that they really deserve based on story because of that wall that's there simply because of, you know, yeah. how the world works, you know, what the system is. So because of that, people trust me with their stories because they know I'm going to relate. Now, me relating doesn't mean I'm going to like it. Me relating doesn't mean I'm going to automatically give you a, you know, a consider like, oh, this was great. No, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. at least we get the first wall out of the way. I can relate enough that I can now yeah. give you notes based on something that someone who's never experienced this can't give you. And one of those notes that a lot of people don't like to receive, but let's say we are dealing with characters that speak in a particular dialect or they have slang or they're using AAVE, which is African-American vernacular English. Because I understand it enough, I can then give you a note to let you know when you're doing too much of it. If they were to get that same okay. note from someone yes. who doesn't understand it or someone who doesn't live that experience, it becomes it becomes frustrating because they're, they're believing I'm only getting this note because I'm black, yeah. right? Versus no, you're getting the note because we're using so much of it that it's hard to understand what the people are saying and the read is king. And if I can't understand the read, okay. then I'm not going to buy the script versus sprinkle a little bit of it in there. But at the end of the day, yeah. what our common foundational language is in America is English. So writing in standard English is just so that you can effectively communicate with everyone, right? And if what you're saying is, yes. well, this person doesn't speak in standard English, then now it's your job as a writer to make sure you describe that person as someone who doesn't speak in standard English, but still write in decently standard English so I can read it. Yes. Because if I can't read it, then I can't understand the context. If I don't understand the context, I don't get the story. And now you've given an executive every reason they need to stop reading. Yeah. And I also have, you know, non-POC writers send, send their screenplays to me and say, OK, I'm dealing with an issue about race in here. Can you just tell me if I'm, <laughs> you know, if I'm if I'm going one way or the other, you know? Yeah. So can you function almost as a kind of diversity editor for writers who aren't writing from that experience themselves and want to be able to kind of road test material in that way? Yeah. So uh, we provide a social responsibility analysis. That's what we call it, where we'll let you know that um, the way that you are depicting your characters, um, whether it be their descriptions, yes. their behavior, their dialogue, etc., is stereotypical and or hurtful to that group of people. Whether it's cultural, racial, ethnic, gender, sexual orientation, whatever it is, yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. it's going to be necessary because that's what the screenplay is about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. if the screenplay is about that thing, then you got to go hard for that thing because you want to tell the true the, the true story. But I read a screenplay one time where the writer just kept calling all of the black and Hispanic guys in the script thugs, right. but right. they didn't right. have to be thugs. They weren't thugs. That's yeah. just what they were being called. Yeah. And so unless someone points that out to you, unless someone brings it to your attention, because nine times out of 10, that writer hadn't even thought about it. All he knows is that he's been watching the news since he was a kid and black and brown kids are thugs. And that's it. And so it wasn't until it was said out loud. And the way that I say it is I always ask questions. I don't just tell people they're wrong because that's going to put their defenses up. So my question was, what makes this character a thug? Right. And then I talk about 
the social responsibility of it. Because as writers, we are the ones who are putting things on the screen and life imitates, you know, things that are on the screen and the screen imitates things that are in life. So if you now call them thugs, then that means casting is going to get people they think look like thugs. And then the wardrobe department is going to dress them a particular way. And now black and brown people are going to see those images on television. Yes, exactly. Off we go. (laughs) Off we go. And so that's kind of why we do that social social responsibility uh, assessment just to kind of give people that thought. And then also, I am a development consultant at Mahogany, which is a network under the Hallmark channel. Um, And so as a development consultant, I offer training to development executives in story. And I also kind of stand in the gap uh, in their development process. So if they're a very small development team and they've got a million things on their slate, and so they're working, you know, with stuff in production and blah, 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 I can kind of come in and help in the development process by taking their writers okay. through their notes processes, et cetera, and getting the script to a place where it's ready to go in pre-production. And so that's what I'm yes. doing with a mahogany uh, right now. Yeah. Is there a mission there to amplify black voices in that space? Because historically, we haven't seen that, yes. especially, you know, yes. with, with those kind of movie of the week pictures. Exactly, exactly. So mahogany is based on the mahogany cards. So I don't know if you've ever been in the card section of a store. And I don't know if it's like this all over the world. So that would be another thing to consider. But in America, we have the regular Hallmark cards and then we have the mahogany cards. The mahogany cards okay. are usually um, about African-American experiences. Right. So they'll have African-American images on there, African-American sayings on there, et cetera. And so the the mahogany network is kind of grown from that to say, well, how do we bring black girl joy? Right. Because Hallmark is usually told from the female perspective. Right. How do we um, how do we show black girl joy on screen? And so it's been really good to hear back from people, how they're feeling about it, um, that it's got enough Hallmark there to keep you know, their current viewers, but it's got enough of that black girl joy that they're looking for to kind of open the door to new viewers. You know, my mother is a person who watches Hallmark and Lifetime. And about a decade ago, she wrote a letter because she was upset that none of the Christmas movies had black people in them. Yeah. A decade ago, she wouldn't have seen herself at all in those spaces. Yeah. And she wrote a letter. (laughs) So... So for there to be a, a mahogany network now, it means that we've we've come we've come far. We've come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Let's imagine a day when you do have you know half a day or a full day to dedicate to your own kind of writing. Mm-hmm. What's your perfect writing setup? Where are you? What are you listening to? What are you drinking? So oddly enough, I'm not one of those kind of artists, and okay. it's probably because. I don't get enough leisure time to be that kind of artist. So I can't have everything's got to be perfectly set up in order for me to write or I'd never write. Right. So if I know that I'm going to be able to write for two, for these two hours or, you know, these five hours, I'm going to sit at my desk and I'm going to write. I'm not going to turn on anything. I'm not going to read something first. I'm not going to blah, 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 because those five hours are going to come and go. And I will not have another time that I can write. Yeah. But that's another reason why outlining is important. And structure is important because I get to jump in and out of writing and still feel like I'm starting in the same space. So luckily enough, I don't have to have a perfect setting. I was in the airport the other day writing. You know, I can be on an airplane. As a matter of fact, the short film that I wrote that, you know, placed in a few things, I hadn't written anything in a decade because I had been an executive and then a performing artist. And now I was becoming a script consultant. So my writing, I hadn't written anything for myself in a decade. 
I wrote my first short yeah. after a decade on an airplane between New York and Los Angeles, no, New York and, and Houston. And that's the thing that started getting me placements in script okay. competitions, okay. you know? So it's like, I write when I can. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't necessarily need, you know, yeah. things to be perfect. And how do you maneuver around, or how do you recommend writers maneuver around writing roadblocks? I don't, I don't subscribe per se to the idea of writer's block. I think yeah. either you're not ready to write it, or it's yeah. not the story you need to be writing right now, or you're not yeah. prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think writer's block comes from two places, lack of confidence and lack of preparation, right? So to me, that first one, I can't do that for you. You have to figure out if you are a writer and if this is what you're supposed to be doing, you have to find that confidence. So in my idea to story um, course, I do a lot of inner work with people uh, that goes to my whole I'm a therapist thing. Right. I do a lot of inner work with people because you have to be honest about what you're afraid about. You know what I mean? You, you know that that uh, saying that our biggest fear is, you know, that will be great beyond measure. And yeah, a lot of that yeah. is what's stopping people um, or what's stopping them is it's going to be stupid. And then my response is, well, let it be stupid, but you got to get it out. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but there is no amount of affirmations that I can give you and no amount of me telling you you're awesome. That's going to make you confident. Nine times out of 10, mm -hmm. you are the one person who thinks you can't do this. <laughs> you know, if you ask yes. your mom, your dad, your wife, your husband, your children, they think that you're fantastic and that you can do everything. You're the only one standing in that way. So you have to figure out what you can do to build your own confidence. And if you build your own confidence, you can do whatever. So one of the affirmations that I give people is uh, if you have no confidence in self, you're twice defeated in the race of life. For with confidence, you have won before you have begun, which is from Marcus Garvey. And so I say that to myself all the time. Yeah. So even when I was a performing artist, I would be standing on the stage, waiting on the curtains to open. And I say that to myself because these people in the audience don't know my lines. <laughs> they don't know yes, if I'm messing yes, up or yes. not. Right, you know, right, this is about right. me confidently saying whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I could be singing the wrong conviction, thing. Right. I could be, you know, standing in the wrong spot. <laughs> just commit. Just commit. <laughs> exactly. And so the same thing is true with screenwriting. It's like, just do it. And yes, it's yeah. going to be terrible. <laughs> and that's okay. You have to start somewhere. If it were a baby that was born yesterday, you wouldn't look at it next week and go, you're terrible because you can't walk. We're not even having, the expectation is not there. So a lot of it comes from set yeah. realistic yeah. expectations for yourself. You're not going to be Shonda Rhimes tomorrow. As a matter of fact, you're never going to be Shonda Rhimes because she's already Shonda Rhimes, right? <laughs> so yes. set expectations yes. that you can actually meet, which goes back to that. If you can't write every day, then stop setting that as an expectation for yourself set that you're going to make notes on whatever your new whatever your story is yeah. every day because right. you can do that progress voice, some other exactly you can yeah. do that via voice notes you can write some stuff down in your tablet or in your phone or you know whatever and every single time something comes to you say to yourself i'm gonna write that thing down and next thing you know you've got a whole yeah. lot of things right and you have somewhere to go with absolutely that. so i definitely think it starts with confidence yeah. and then again preparation which we've, which we've kind of talked about already you know those character bios yes. that world building that um um, setting up those goals because every story is about uh, a protagonist trying to do something, you know, actively uh, achieve a goal, actively solve a problem, do something. And so if you haven't figured out what they're doing, then you don't have a story yet. Right. Yeah. So like figuring out those those tangible goals, the the internal stuff that's going to make us all mushy inside. You know what I mean? And, and the thematic stuff and how it's going to connect. Like 
and then getting yourself to a pretty solid outline, like that's the prep work. If you don't do that part, yeah. then the white page on the computer will knock you down. <laughs> you know what I mean? It will. It's so yes. intimidating. But getting to it and not knowing what to do, like that's that's yeah. tough, which yeah. then takes yeah. you right back to the now I lost my confidence. <laughs> right. So I think those two things yeah. definitely yeah. work hand in hand. You got to be confident. You got to be OK with failing. You got to be OK with not being perfect. You got to yeah. be OK yeah. with your first draft being crap. You got to be OK with your fifth draft being crap. Like you just got to be OK with it because you have to give yourself the grace to learn and grow just like you would that baby who's going to get a good nine to 12 months before anybody expects them to walk. Yes. And you won't give yourself that much time to, <laughs> to write right, your right, screenplay. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Although I would argue that you probably can, you probably can help them with confidence. I think anybody coming to you and setting out on that journey with a more clearly defined outline and that structure worked out from the beginning, I right. think would then have the confidence to go on that journey. So, and I'm um, going to fight yeah, them every time yeah. they say something negative out loud, I'm going to fight it. So <laughs> that, I'm that right, accountability right. part. They're like, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about Truffle Sauce. Okay. I watched it last week oh, and, yeah. um, and absolutely oh, loved thank it. You. So I do want to spend some time talking a little bit about that. So Truffle Sauce is of course a coming of age story um, yeah. about a girl getting her life together. But of course, it's not mm -hmm. that easy. Um, give us the pitch. Tell us about the, about the story. Yeah. So the, it can be pitched two different ways. One of them is to take out the theme and just give it to people, you know, flat on its face, which is here's a girl who's been making all the wrong decisions all of her entire life. Right. And her grandparents have basically said to her, if you get your life on track, we'll get you a tattoo shop because she's an artist. Now, she doesn't want to do that because she's the kind of chick who'll do anything once. <laughs> right. So she's just kind of enjoying life. Right, but at this right. point, she's like, all right, it's time to grow up. I'm 25. Let me get this together. So she's gone to community college and it's time for her to graduate. But she doesn't have any money. And at a community college, you're not going to get your diploma if you don't give them their check. Right. So now she's got to figure out how she's going to get this money. And she decides to sell truffle sauce. That's your jumping off point, right? Yeah, exactly. She's the sample lady at a store. Yeah. And while she's going through her day to reach this goal of making this money, she starts to come in contact with her past. And so now she has to make a decision on like literally seeing her past standing in front of her. Am I going to take this new route? which can be better for me, but is scarier because I don't know what it looks like? Or am I going to take my old route, which I know is terrible for me, but it's my comfort zone. And so we're kind of watching her. It's like mm -hmm. you said, it's coming mm -hmm. of age. So we're watching her mature into which thing is better for me. Then if we put the theme into it, then it is about a young lady who is selling truffle sauce so that she can escape human traffic. Yes. And so being able to pay for community college and do something on her own is her way of saying, I can do this and um, I can start this new life. And one of the biggest things that I I try to focus on within that is how we judge people and how we interact with people without realizing that all people are going through something. So as we're watching her sell mm. her truffle sauce, she's giving us every sign that she's in distress, but no one is paying attention. Yes. <laughs> right. And it yes. isn't until that yes. she's met head on with it that finally someone goes, this girl is in need, which then makes you look back and go, and she's been trying to tell me that all day. And I just, you know, I just missed it. Yeah. Yeah. I love something that you talk about in your Film Courage interviews, which is this idea of social proof. Yeah. Um, that moment that we need as an audience or a reader to get behind and champion that protagonist. Yeah. And, and for someone, a character like this protagonist, who on the face of it feels guarded and 
maybe in maybe almost quite gruff. Yeah. Which is the armor she's had to put around herself mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to feel safe and mm-hmm. given the, the trauma in her backstory. Just talk a little bit about how that idea of social proof works in, in this film. Yeah. And so for me, it kind of works against me because we don't get a chance to set her up as someone likable. You have to either automatically relate and understand her because you know someone like that, or you have to be interested enough in the small, funny moments that you're willing to give yeah. it a shot until you get to a place of liking her. And that That's absolutely was, it. Yeah. And that was hard for me. It's the trauma. Yeah. It's the I trauma. I could see the trauma. Like, That's it. Right? Yeah. There was something that says there's more to this. There's What's, more to this. How is this person yeah. in this situation? She yeah. doesn't fit in that world even. She, right? Yeah. And that's purposeful. You can see the contrast of the, the white lady in the store yeah. who fits in that world. This isn't her world. So what's... Yeah. All of the customers fit in that world. Exactly. And it isn't until, you know, she goes outside that she feels comfortable because that's her world. Yes. And so it also, without saying it out loud, shows you that this is a gentrified area, right? Yes. <laughs> because the outside looks like one thing and the inside looks like another thing. And she's totally uncomfortable yes. on the inside. But on the outside, she's totally cool, right? And mm. so for me, that's the moment that I want people to like her when she goes outside. When they see she's not always mad, you know, when they hear her grand talking to her and and, and pouring life yeah. into her and giving us this little bit of information about uh, she's been through something because her grand says, no matter what you've been through, we still love you. Right. And so most yes. of us have, you know, somebody in our lives, an old and elder in our lives who kind of pour into us. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. even seeing yeah. Tweet's reaction to that and her, you know, if if you're following, you know, along the guilt in hearing her grandmother speak life into her and then her seeing the world that she used to be in right in front of her face and choosing to go back into the store. That's the moment where it's like, if you lasted this long, hopefully you like her (laughs) by now. And if you don't, then we're going to give you one more thing. And then hopefully, even if you don't like her, you feel for her. You still want her to win, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I think also, you, you know, it's, it's tough writing a, um, a movie of that length. You have to set up and deliver so much. Yes. And it is so layered and so beautiful. And you unpack that so beautifully in the time that you're working with, which is a really great calling card for any writer mm-hmm. to have such a strong short like that. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about getting it from, from that idea in your head to production? And yeah. now, of course, it's available to watch online yes, on, on Blavity, is. which is a fantastic platform. Yes. Which is crazy. All of it's crazy. So I'm one of those people who preaches for people to stay in their land and I believe it. So when I wrote this, I didn't I didn't intend on doing anything with it. Um, but it just kind of kept leaning on me to do something. So this idea, anytime I write, I'm either pulling something from my life or somebody else's that I know, you know, that's just what we mean by write what you know, right? So I was writing what I knew. I, as a performing artist, was a sample lady, <laughs> right? So I actually was a sample lady for truffle sauce. That's and great. I did not know what truffle sauce was. I thought it smelled terribly. <laughs> I was uh Living in the living in Southeast DC, which is, uh, you know, predominantly black. Um, some parts of it can be, uh, middle class and some parts of it can be, uh, lower, uh, class. And here I was in some part of Virginia, not very far from Southeast DC, where none of the people looked like me. 
All of the people were uh, asking me about everything else they could find in the store. No one cared about the truffle sauce. And I was so frustrated by this. Like, I don't work here. Like, that that's all I kept thinking in my head was nothing on me says that I work here. There are signs all yeah, over the place yeah. telling you where you can find stuff. But everybody keeps asking me <laughs> for, you know, all this yeah, other stuff. Right. But, you know, I obviously am a little more put together than Tweet. So, of course, I didn't curse anybody out, you know, or anything like that. But. I was yeah. like, I'm never doing this again. I was like, this is the most frustrating thing. I'm never doing this. But then I asked myself, okay, but what if I had to? Like, whose story would this be if selling truffle sauce was all they had? Like, this yeah. is it. Yeah. And her story came to yeah. me like that. What I will say is before learning more about human trafficking, I didn't consider that that was her story. Right. Because okay. the lies that we're told about prostitution is that women are there willingly. Those are the lies that mm. we're told. Um, and in my city of Houston, where I'm from, we are the number one city in the country for human trafficking, which was also something that I did not know when I started writing it. So it wasn't until I started doing that research that I realized, well, prostitution is a part of the human trafficking, you know, kind of graph. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That, you know, yeah. it became that much more of an impactful story mm. versus just a girl who's out here making bad decisions. No, it's another. It's a great connection. Yeah. So and then I was going to shoot it in Houston. I wanted all of the cast and the crew and everybody to be from Houston and be from Texas. So, you know, being able to put those things together just kind of made it go, wow, like we, we didn't know it was going to uh, become that. And my director I had worked with before because he brought me in on a project um, and he is based in Houston. He's from Houston. He has a production company in Houston. And so when okay. I worked with him before, his name is Isaac Yeoman of IO Productions. Uh, when I worked with him before, I was like, okay, this is a professional, you know, professionally done you know, production company. They seem like they're great people. Let's just come back and, and see if he wants to work on Truffle Sauce. And he did. And he is a lot of the yeah. reason that it turned out the way it is because he's a fantastic cinematographer as well. So that's why it looks like it looks. Yeah. <laughs> um, he He's also a Grammy, uh, Grammy nominated uh, music producer. So he has access to all this, you know, different music that we can utilize and things like that. And so he right. did the editing. Right. He did the music. He did the cinematography. He directed. So he was a great person to bring on board me not realizing that any of that was going to happen. Um, but with that being said, because I like to stay in my lane, I was pushed into the executive producer lane because it's my project. So so writers, unless you're going to yeah. hire an executive producer, it's on you. Right. So that means I had to find the money and, you know, do all of that, make sure the schedule yeah. is going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, what my intention with Truffle Sauce is for people to see the kind of work that I can do, the kind of work my director can do, our actors can do. If one of us gets a gig off of this, great. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's kind of Fantastic. what I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. applying to a couple of festivals simply for the exposure of it, just so people can kind of see, you know, the work that we do. Um, and in the middle of that, Blavity uh, was one of those options. So um, I had mm. uh, a friend of mine, Desola Alafeso, kind of working with branding for us and kind of looking for opportunities and blah, blah, blah. And she came across Blavity yeah. and they were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's take it. And so now it's uh, streaming on Blavity. So it's very cool uh, that people who I don't even know are around here watching it. I had someone send me yeah. a picture because they were watching it on their television. 
And I was just oh, wow. blown away. That's cool. <laughs> I was That's like, oh cool. my gosh, my work's on TV. Well, it's a great calling card, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm glad you watched it. I'm glad you liked oh, it. And definitely. hopefully everyone else who's listening will check it out on Blavity. It's called Truffle Sauce. Yeah. I'll, I'll share a link in the show notes for sure. Awesome. Um, I just think it's great to be able to have a piece of work that you can share in the form of a link, just yeah. in your emails, mm-hmm. you know, on your profiles. Um, to have something out there is always fantastic. And it yeah. is um, a, a wonderful, wonderful calling card. Thank you. Shannon, I've taken a lot of your time. I always end with one question to bring it back to the Writer's Toolkit book, which is to ask guests to share their top tip for maintaining a healthy writing practice. Ooh, good. Um, It's something that I said before, but the top tip in maintaining a healthy writing practice is set realistic expectations for yourself. I believe confidence is key and um, setting yourself up for failure doesn't give you confidence. So set realistic expectations for what works for you and your writing process. There are a million books, a million YouTube channels, a million blogs that are going to tell you that this is the way that you're supposed to do it. You can do it all of those ways or none none at all, right? You just have to find what works for you, figure that out, and then start to get it done. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Shannon. It's been so lovely to chat to you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. You're listening to the Writer's Toolkit podcast. Uh, The one thing I forgot to ask Shannon is when is her book coming out? Thankfully, she's recorded a bounty of content, which is available to you free on the Film Courage YouTube channel, as well as more on her website at awriterforyourwriter.com. So anyone looking for a brilliant screenwriting mentor with built-in development exec insight, do visit Shannon over at The Professional Pen. I'd include links to both in the show notes, as well as a link to her brilliant short film, Truffle Sauce, which is streaming now for free on Blavity. As always, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Paul Calvergi, or visit my website, paulcalvergi.com. I'd love to hear which episodes you've enjoyed the most, and any thoughts or ideas for future episodes too. Until then, stay inspired. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Writer's Toolkit podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and share the link with your friends. This podcast is fueled by coffee. If you'd like to support the show, you'll find the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes. 